Kavanaugh, will you stand with us? Let's worship together. Awesome, and I want the whole world to know about him. Amen. 
It's so good to see you guys here today. It's so awesome to be surrounded by church family here on this Sunday morning. God's given us a beautiful day to come together to worship and grow with one another. And I'm so thankful for that, all right? It's good to see you guys. We've been praying for you all week uh, for this time because we love this time where we can gather together to worship and then listen to God's word and apply it to our lives so we can grow and become the people that he wants us to be. So I'm thankful that you're here. It's awesome to see you. And I want to ask you guys to stand and we're going to pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our service this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and again, thank you so much for bringing us together, God. The message that you have here today for us is so important, so critical, and again, I'm so thankful uh, for Brother Will and what he's about to bring to us, God. Lord, our hearts are yours, and we want to lay it out before you today. And Lord, in whatever way that you can, change us, make us into the people that you want us to be, God. And so that we can be a light and shining example for you, God. May our hearts, may our lives be vessels of worship for you. And may people see you when they see us. We love you in your name. Amen. Let's continue to praise and worship this morning.
us so much that he would be willing to send his son and he would take our place and take the penalty and the destruction that we all deserved. God loves us. God, God loves you simply because he loves you. And you don't have to do anything to work for his affection. And you don't have to set yourself straight before God is willing to pour out his love on you. God just loves you. God loves us. It's so hard to wrap our mind around the thought that the creator of all things, I mean, we put him in his proper place and think of who God is and who we are, that God would love us. Is that not incredible? It's incredible, but it is true. And in Psalm 136, 26, it says, give thanks to the God of heaven for his faithful love endures forever. And as we continue to sing, just keep that thought in your mind. You know what? God loves me. He loves you right where you are today. Jesus loves me.
that, Lord, I pray that they will take that in, that your Holy Spirit will speak that into our lives, that you love us. That's the beginning of our faith journey is just to realize that you love us no matter where we are in life, no matter what we've done. You love us. Lord, we want to give you praise because you are worthy this morning. There is none like you. There is no other God like you. All praise, all glory to your name. We exalt you this morning, and I pray that you are pleased with our worship here in this place. Pray this in the name of Jesus. job leading us in worship. I, I welcome you uh, to the Lord's house today. Thank you for being here in person and those watching online. Thank you for your presence as well. Uh, good to have everybody here, right? Amen. It's good, good to have my two grandkids here. And uh, yeah, you'll hear from them here in a little bit. And that's just the way. They, but you know what? It's okay if they scream in my sermon. That's, that's all right. All right. Hey, let's pray right now and let's ask God to do something special in this service. I, I just had a thought as we were worshiping and singing and praising. My thought was, God is about to do something. God's going to do something today. And it may very well be in your life that he does it. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would have your will and way in our lives and in this service I pray that the Holy Spirit would just uh, fill this room, dear Lord, with your presence. And I pray that as I read your word on the outside of everybody's life, I pray that you would take it and speak it directly into our hearts. Help us, dear Lord, to experience Jesus today and help us to get on mission with God. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. Did you know God is up to something? God has a quest for the nations. God has a mission, and he wants us to be on mission with him, insomuch that Kavanaugh Church has a mission. And I want you to stand right now, and we're going to read our mission statement together. Over the next four or five weeks, we're going to begin every service with this mission statement because I want it not only to be in your heads, but also in your hearts. So would you read our mission statement out loud with me on three? One, two, three. At Kavanaugh Church, our mission is to win people to Christ, to train believers to become disciples, and to send disciples out to impact the world. Amen? There it is. There it is. Let's praise the Lord with that. Thank you, and you can be seated. That is our mission as a church to be on board with God, to win people to Christ, to train believers into disciples, to be followers of Christ, and then to send those disciples back out into their world so that they can make an impact with the power of the gospel in their life. That's God's mission. 
and it's our mission as well. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1 this morning. I started a series last week from the book of Jonah. Today we're going to look at Jonah 1, 4 through 17. The book of Jonah is one of the most interesting books in all of the Bible. It's this story about a city called Nineveh, one of the largest cities of its day, 120,000 in population. It was so massive that it would take a person three days to walk around the city of Nineveh. But they were known for their wickedness. And God is on a quest to save the nations of the world. And even though the people of Nineveh were living in sin, they had the heart of God, and God wanted them to repent. So he handpicked one of his preachers, a prophet by the name of Jonah. And he said, arise, Jonah. Get up, Jonah. I'm sending you to Nineveh to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh. If they don't repent, they're going to be annihilated. So go and preach to them. But you know what? Noah was a little hard-hearted toward the Ninevites. In fact, he, he didn't like them one bit. And so instead of going to Nineveh, he went in the exact opposite direction, running as far from the will of God as he possibly could run. And we're going to find out in our story today that, that God gets control of the whole situation. In fact, God causes this great storm to come on the sea of the boat that Jonah was on. And God causes the sailors to throw Jonah overboard. And God brought a big fish to swallow Jonah to get him back on mission with him because that's the plan God had for Jonah to be on mission with God. As I stated last week, we believe the story of Jonah is a historical story. That is, it really happened. Okay, We believe this. It really happened. Not only does the Old Testament confirm it and, and state that Jonah was a real person who was a prophet of God, Jesus talked about Jonah. Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. We below, believe this is a real story. Okay? We believe this really happened. Come on, right? Amen. However, there are many liberal scholars who disregard and don't believe that this was a historical story. It, it reminds me of the little girl who was in public schools and the teacher was teaching on uh, the, the fish in the ocean and she finally got to whales and she said, even though whales are the largest mammal that there is, it's impossible for a whale to swallow a human because their throat is so small. And, and there's a little girl in the, in the classroom who grew up in church, and she raised her hand, and she said, but, but what about Jonah? Jonah was swallowed by a whale. And the teacher reiterated, it would be impossible for a whale to swallow a human. Their, their throat is not large enough, to which the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'll just ask Jonah about that. And the teacher said, well, what if Jonah went to hell? To which the little girl said, then you can ask him. <laughs> well, think about it. It really is kind of funny. Yeah. There are some powerful truths in this book that we need to see, church, about getting on mission with God. Like Jonah, sometimes we struggle with this on-mission mindset. We saw last week that God has this great quest 
to reach the nations of the world. He calls Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh and to preach to them. But Jonah immediately rebels. He goes down to the port city of Joppa, purchases a ticket to go to Tarshish, and goes down into the ship, going in the exact opposite direction of where God wants him to go. He runs from the Lord. But here's the truth of grace. God doesn't give up on Nineveh, nor does God give up on Jonah. Now, this is kind of a side note, and we're going to talk about it in an upcoming sermon. But here's something I want you to put in your think tank. God has a specific will for each one of us to do. And if you don't do what God has called you to do, that job is just not going to get done. So God is not going to give up on Nineveh. God wants Nineveh to be saved. And he realizes because he called Jonah, the only way they're going to hear is if my prophet goes and preaches to them. And so God's not going to give up on Jonah. Because if Jonah doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. You you need to understand that. If God has called you to do something and you refuse to do it, then you know what? That job is just not going to get done. Therefore, it's imperative for you, just like it was for Jonah, to say yes to the will of God. In God's dealings with Jonah, I see some wonderful, powerful parallels for how God deals with us to correct us to get our lives back on mission with him. God wants his people to be on mission with himself. But you know what? Sometimes we just want to go our own way. Right? And even though that's, that's a pretty good title for a Fleetwood Mac song, <laughs> Go Your Own Way, it's not very good when it comes to the will of God because there are always consequences when you go your own way. For example, when we decide to go our own way, number one, God is going to orchestrate circumstances to get our attention. Now, Jonah thinks he's going to be successful in running away from God, but God is going to alter Jonah's travel plans. Have you ever had your travel plans altered? Huh? Yeah, well, big time for Brother Jonah here. Look at verse one or four of chapter one. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So again, the picture is Jonah got on this ship. It's going to Tarshish, and he's down in the ship. And in the ocean, God throws, God sent this great wind. The Hebrew word says that God hurled this storm onto the sea. God threw it down. Ken, what I think of is, is that, you got your grandson here, that, that picture, hurling a fastball, right? That's what I think of, that picture of, of a fastball being hurled to home plate. That's literally what God did. God hurled a storm down onto the sea. And, and you're wondering, can God do that? You better believe God can do that. And God did that. God threw this storm down onto the sea. You know, sometimes God just lets us persist in our own disobedience for a while before he intervenes. That's not the case with Jonah in our story. Immediately, when Jonah decides to run from God, God acts swiftly. 
And he does that by throwing a storm onto the sea. Church, it's important that we understand that God is not only on a quest to reach the nations, that is to win people to Christ, but he's also on a quest to teach his people. And that's the second thing in our mission statement, to train believers to become disciples. God is on a quest to train you, to teach you, to shape you into the person he wants you to be. And that's the purpose of discipline. That is the purpose of correction. I want you to hold your place in the book of Jonah and travel with me to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. I want to spend just a moment talking to you about discipline and correction. How many of you are daddies? Raise your hand if you're a father, if you're a dad, if you have kids, whether they're little or grown. You know, one of the hardest things, Wes, one of the hardest things about being a daddy is disciplining your kids. You know what I mean? I, I, it really is. You, you love your kids, and you know what? It, it's hard when they get out of line because you know you need to correct them. But here's what I know, Mason, here's what I know as a new daddy. Good to see you, Mason. Good to have your little family with us today. It really is. Here's what I know as a daddy. If you love that little girl, you're going to correct her. If you love your children, you're going to correct them. You know how I know if a parent doesn't love their kids? They never correct them. You can read all the psychology books you want to read, man, about not disciplining and not training and not whipping your kids, but it's not what the Bible says. Bible says you love your kids, you correct them, you discipline them. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what the Bible says. And have you completely forgotten this word of what? What's the word? You're going to think when I'm reading this, there's not much encouragement here, but it really is a word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son or a daughter. So endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us, that is, our human fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his what? His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Amen, brother. It's painful. Later on, However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Thank God for that. Thank God. You know, my parents, if I heard them say it once, I heard them say it 593 million times. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I would say, baloney. Yeah. But as a daddy, I know it's true. 
I, I discipline my kids. Why? Because I love them. And I know this, God disciplines us simply because he loves us. He corrects us because he cares for us. Now, let me just say that not all storms that come into our lives are because of God's correcting or for disobedience. It may be that God simply wants to take you on a different level of relationship with him, and for that to happen, you've got to go through a storm. But it is absolutely clear that God is disciplining Brother Jonah to correct him. Not for immorality, not for idolatry. No, the reason God is correcting and disciplining Brother Jonah is because of insubordination. Simply because Jonah refused to fulfill God's mission for his life. Church, do we understand that God is, is not just about making us good people. <laughs> There's more to it than that. God not only wants you to be a good person, God wants you to be on mission with him. Jonah was a good person. He was a good man, but he was not being completely obedient to the will of God for his life. And you never know how God is going to orchestrate circumstances in your own life to get you back on track. He may use your finances or your job or your relationships or even your health to straighten you out and get you back on track. And look at me, listen to me. When he does that, it's not because he's mean and it's not because he hates you. And it's not because he's a bad God. It's just the opposite of that. He is disciplining you and correcting you because he loves you. And he wants you to be in the center of his will. God is going to use all kinds of instruments to accomplish that. So, big picture, don't try to go your own way. <laughs> you know, do God's will in your life and you can avoid this. Number two, we realize that when we go our own way, God confronts our complacency. God threw this fierce storm down onto the sea, and it was such a, a storm of great magnitude that these seasoned sailors were absolutely terrified. I, I don't know if it was a Category 5 hurricane. I, I don't know if the wind speeds were 175 miles an hour. I don't know, but it was, a, it was a big, bad storm. Look at verse number five. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea just to lighten the ship. So here are all these sailors sending out their SOS prayers. Literally, they were crying out to their own gods. But you know what? These gods could not stop the storm because they were false gods. They had no power to cease the storm. And so what did these sailors do? They, they leaned on their nautical experience. They started lightening the vessel. They took their precious cargo and they threw it overboard so as to save their own skin. You know, when I was reading this, I, I just had this thought there are some things in our life that is so precious to us, things that are so precious, whether it, it be a, a thing or a house or a boat or, or clothing or money or whatever, things that are so precious to us, we don't think we can live without them. They're precious to us. Precious. Precious. <laughs> but then when the storm comes, 
you know what, we're willing to throw those things overboard just to save our own skin, aren't we? And that is exactly what these sailors were doing, taking the precious cargo and chunking it overboard just to save their own souls. And what is Brother Jonah doing during all of this? Verse 5b tells us what Jojo's doing. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. Isn't that amazing? I mean, really, isn't this an amazing story? These, these sailors are facing a storm of the century, the, the greatest storm they've ever been in. They're panicking. They're, they're, they're trying to save their own lives. What is Jonah doing? <laughs> He's asleep. There are some scholars that point out the downward path of Jonah's life. The Bible says he went down to Joppa and purchased a ticket to Tarshish. He went down into the ship. This verse tells us he was in a deep sleep. And the point they're making is this, sin leads us down. And he was on this downward path. And here Brother Jonah is in the bottom of the ship that is about to perish, and he's sleeping. He is complacent during it all. And again, I had this thought, what a lesson to God's people both then and now that we need to awaken out of our complacency. Why? Because there are people panicking and perishing all around us. And what are we doing? Man, we're sleeping. We're sleeping on the good news. We're sleeping on the mission that God has for us, which is to win, train, and send. We're snoozing during all of this. And Jonah needs to wake up. And so here this captain of the ship is. He goes down into the inner bowels of the ship. Maybe he's going to get some more cargo or he's checking the walls of his ship for a leak. But, but notice what he does in verse number 6. The captain went to Jonah and said, How can you sleep, dude? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that not all of us will perish. Isn't this ironic? Here is this pagan ship's captain calling on the preacher to pray. Let that sink in. Here is a pagan sailor. Now, I don't want to categorize. It's wrong to categorize people. I know that. But you know what? When we usually think of sailors, cuss is like a sailor. You know, sailors were typically just, just, you know, wicked people. And here's this wicked captain of a ship, and he's waking up the man of God and saying, dude, pray to your God. In fact, all of them were, were praying to the gods that they had. The, the, the idea was for all of the crew and passengers to call on their various gods. You know, let's tap every resource that we have. This way, whichever god has been offended, may be placated, and thus save the ship. But only if this captain knew how those words must have stabbed Jonah in the heart. But Brother Jojo is so spiritually far from God that the last thing he is inclined to do here is to pray to God. Sadly, there is no evidence that Jonah prays right now. No, things are going to have to get a whole lot worse in his life before he calls out to the God. Just as a side note, remember what the captain said to Jonah? NIV says, he said, get up! Get up! King James says, arise! Arise! 
actually the same word is used by God in chapter 1, verse 2, when God called Jonah in the first place. God said, arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Now, this captain is saying the same thing. Arise, dude, get up. We're about to perish. Same word, arise, arise. It really must have been a nightmare for Jonah. Really, he kept hearing the same thing. Groundhog day all over again. (laughs) Y'all are, come on. I I had a a friend yesterday, cowboy friend that I saw in Hot Springs. He said, dude, been been watching your sermons online. Thanks thanks for putting your sermons online. Been been watching. I said, well, thank you. A lot of people say that, and you know, they really don't listen to the whole thing. They just, but he started saying things, quoting back to me things I've been preaching for the last several weeks. And he says, I loved it a few weeks ago when you told that second service people, you guys need some coffee. I'm having that same thought right now, Nathan. We, we, need, we need to wake up, right? Just like Jonah, we, we need to wake up. Amen? Arise. Arise. Get up. Do you think God was trying to get Jonah's attention? Dude, to the extreme. So God orchestrates the circumstances. God confronts our complacency. And number three, when we try to go our own way, there are definite consequences of our disobedience. Jonah's disobedience brings severe consequences. Number one, to himself. He's about to be swallowed by a whale. Number two, to these sailors who are facing this life-threatening storm. And number three, to the people of Nineveh who need to hear the message that Jonah is supposed to deliver. That brings a thought to my mind. Our disobedience impacts the people around us. Do you see the magnitude of that? Your disobedience is not only going to affect your own life, but it's going to affect all of the lives of the people you touch and maybe some people that you don't even think about. That's why it is imperative that you be on mission with God. So this crew's done everything in their power, but the storm is still raging. They are sure that someone on the ship has angered one of the gods, and they have become this magnet for the fury of God himself. Look at verse number 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on... Oh, Jojo. Wow, man. As soon as the sailors find out the culprit, they want to know the the details. And so they begin bombarding Brother Jonah with all of these questions. Verse number 8 tells us about that. They ask him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Question after question. All these questions are going to help them understand why this is happening to them. And Jonah has to confess that he is running from Almighty God. But then Jonah makes this strange confession in verse number 9. And guys, let me tell you, all week I've been coming back to verse number 9 because it is so revealing. Here's what he says in verse 9. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I fear... Some translations use the word worship. I worship or I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now grasp what Jonah is saying. He is confessing, 
I'm a Hebrew. I'm a prophet. I'm a preacher. And I worship God Almighty. I fear the one true and living God who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea. That makes for a pretty good sermon. But he's lying through his teeth. He doesn't worship God. He's not fearing God. Because if Jonah really feared the God who made heaven, earth, and sea, he wouldn't be running from God. Hmm. He wouldn't be disobeying him. That brings us to verse number 10. This terrified those sailors, and so they asked him, What have you done, man? Dude, what'd you do? Because they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them that. Again, these pagan sailors had, had a greater sense of the sovereignty of God than Brother Jonah did. Their reaction tells us that they understood the gravity of this situation. So they said, what have you done? Dude, tell us what you've done, bringing this peril upon all of us. And then verse 11 goes into this. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. I know it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So Jonah is now admitting that it's futile to run from God. He is now admitting that he is the problem. He knows full well that the cause of this storm is his disobedience to God. He realizes his guilt before God, and he is willing to take the punishment. I told the first service people, I've reflected this past week, Probably the first time I preached from the book of Jonah, I was 15 years old. I wrote a sermon on Jonah. I covered all four chapters, and my sermon was probably 12 minutes long. <laughs> Don't you wish I would revert back to my youth, huh, in my preaching? But, but I can tell you, and I've preached dozens of sermons on Jonah since then, but I've never actually had this thought until this past week. Was this a way for Jonah to finally be rid of God's demand for his life? I mean, think about this. He doesn't know God's prepared this big fish. He doesn't know what's awaiting him. He's just saying, I am the cause of this storm, and if you want the storm to cease, throw me overboard. You know what that meant? That meant he was about to die. He was about to perish in the waters. And if so, literally what Jonah was saying is this, I would rather die then obey God and go preach to those wicked people of Nineveh. Think about it. As I read these verses, it occurred to me that a child of God who isn't on mission with God is simply dead weight. Now, I'm not saying this means spirited. Understand that. I love you guys. But, but here's a pretty good question for all of us. What good are you, what good are you to yourself, to your family, to your community, to your neighborhood, to this church, to our world, to God? What good are you if you're not doing what God made you to do? Because when you step back and look at the picture of life, isn't that what life is all about? Isn't that why 
God created you? Isn't that the reason God made you? Because he has a plan for your life. God has something specific for you to do. And we're learning from Jonah, if we don't do what God made us to do, it's not going to get done. So is God's will important in our lives? You better believe it is. And what good are you if you're not doing that? Verse 13. I'm just going to let you answer that, okay, for yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm letting it hang out there for you. You answer, what good are you if you're not doing what God made you to do. Verse 13 goes on to say, Instead the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't do it for the sea grew even wilder than before. Uh, these sailors didn't want to make a mistake by, by having the blood of an innocent man on their own hands. In fact, they had more concern for Jonah than Jonah had for them. And here's what's ironic. We have pagans acting more like Christians than Christians. Well, that's pretty amazing. There's something else that I want you to see as we close this morning. God not only orchestrates circumstances when we go it our own way and confronts our complacency and shows us the consequences of our disobedience, but finally, the, the ultimate conclusion of all of this is the glory of God. I said it last week. The purpose of the story of Jonah is to show us the grace of God and the glory of God. The hero in this story is not Jonah. It's not the fish. The hero is God. This is all about God getting the glory and God sharing his grace with people who are undeservant of his grace. Look at verse 14. So they cried out to the Lord. These are the pagan sailors who just the day before were crying out to false gods. They, they cried out to the Lord, Lord, Please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done this as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And get this, the raging sea was immediately calm. Here we have this tsunami, this, this Category 5 hurricane that, that is just bolsterous and the wind is blowing 175 miles an hour and the waves are 10 feet tall and all of a sudden... Bam! Just like that, everything's calm. Well, that's divine intervention. The only way that could happen is God did that. And God is showing that he is in control. He is not only in control of nature, he is in control of his man because he's finally got Jonah back in his own hand where he wanted him in the first place. This is the point of this whole story from when he hurled the storm onto the sea in verse number 4 to verse number 14 and 15 when he finally got Jonah back in his hand. Verse 16, at this the men greatly feared the Lord. And again, these are pagan sailors. What are they doing? They're fearing God. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. This is mind-boggling to me. Again, th these are pagan people, sailors who, who had no concept of God. And all of a sudden, because of this event, they are worshiping the one true and living God. And not only that, they're making commitments. They are making vows to God. But ultimately, that's what life is all about, God getting the glory. Even, even from pagan people here, God is getting the glory. God, God really wants the glory 
that we give him. And the Bible tells us if we believers don't give him the praise and glory he deserves, the rocks are going to do it. Inanimate objects are going to do it. In this story, we find pagans are doing it. Why? Because they've seen the mighty hand of God. And they're giving glory to God Almighty. Here's another side note to this whole story. God is using the same st storm, the same event, and getting different results. As a byproduct of this storm, these unbelievers believed. These lost people became found people. The primary purpose of the storm was to get Jonah's attention, but the byproduct of it is that people were saved. And God did get Jonah's attention through the storm. That brings me back to that Bible verse that tells us, you know what? Give thanks in all circumstances. Because you don't know what God is up to. And you may think it be for bad, but God is going to use it for something glorious and great. God is working through all of them in more ways than you and I could ever imagine. And that brings us to the final verse, which means I'm almost finished, but not quite. Verse 17. So the Lord provided this huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for how long? Three days and three nights. You talk about God's grace in action. We see it right here manifested. This is all about the grace of God. J Jonah didn't deserve a second chance. <laughs> or a third chance or a fourth chance. But God is giving him another chance. Jonah's life is saved by the gracious act of Almighty God. God doesn't abandon his servant unto death. The, the Lord mounts this special rescue operation. He sends this huge fish that is now acting as a submarine to take his prophet to the location he wanted his prophet to be in the very first place. Jonah is in the belly of this fish for how long? Three days and three nights. You know, I've wondered about that. Why? I mean, why three days and three nights? Well, I thought about it this past week, and here's, here's how my brain works. I don't know. He was in a submarine, and he was a long ways from his location, Nineveh. He was going to Tarshish, which was 2,600 miles away. I don't know exactly where he was in the ocean at that time. Maybe it took the whale three days and three nights to get him from point A to point B. That's kind of logical, right? I said in this service last week, one of the effects that it had on Jonah's body when he was in the fish's belly for three days and three nights, the acids in the fish's stomach bleached his body. It bleached his hair. It bleached his skin. He came out of that fish looking like a freak. So, I mean, big picture here, I'm thinking in my mind, why would the people of Nineveh listen to this preacher? Well, he smelt like a fish and he looked like a freak. I don't know, maybe that's the reason. After I finished first service, my wife, theologian, said, here's another reason it's to fulfill Jesus' prophecy. You know, we read it last week. Jesus said, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man is going to be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights before he is resurrected into God's kingdom and, and power and glory. I don't know. Why do you think he was there three days and three nights? Don't tell me right now, but what do you think? Maybe, maybe he left him down there 
that long because that's how long it took for Brother Jojo to come to his senses. I'm a daddy of three kids, and all three of my kids have, have grown up and left the house. They're, they're no longer in the house, but they still come home for visits, and I love that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how my kids are going to grade me when I finally die as to how good of a dad I was. I, I, I know I'm not a perfect dad. I, 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 guess, I guess I did the best that I could. I know, Jason, I know that their mama is a whole lot better mama than their dad was a good dad. Yeah? And I'm so thankful for my wife. Yeah, the, the good that my kids have really, really stemmed from her and her training and, and her teaching. Uh, it, it, here's, here's the one area of, of my fatherhood that I would not give myself a very good grade in. Here's where I failed as a father. When, when my kids would, would get into bad situations, when their back was against the wall, when, when, whenever there was a problem, when, whenever they had a mess in their life, whether they caused it or whether it just happened to them, when I saw my kids in a predicament like that, Ken, my reaction was to get them out, to rescue them, to solve their problem, to cause them to have the least amount of pain they can have in their life. Wanted to save them from that. Okay, that was, that was my natural reaction. And so I would, whenever I saw my kid in a mess, I would just go into daddy mode, man. Try to fix it for him. Brother Nathan's got two little boys. Him and Shawnee are about to have a third child. Thank you for helping build the church, buddy. I just want to thank you. Doing, Nathan's doing his part. Building the church. Let me, let, me, let me just tell you, as a dad to a dad right here, one of the worst things we can do as daddies sometimes is to immediately extract our children from the problems that they've created or that they're in. That's hard, Ronnie. Isn't that hard? But sometimes the best thing we can do for them is let them just sit there for a while. And, and let them figure out, you know what, I, I caused this mess. How am I going to get out of this mess? Sometimes it's not good for us to save them immediately. They, they've got to figure it out. Why? Because they need to grow up. And part of the process of, of growing up is, is owning up to your own mistakes. I don't, know, I don't know the reason why Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I know why I've been in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. Because it took me that long to come to my senses. And I am so thankful that my God loves me so much that he left me there. Until I figured out, you know what? Going my own way is not the best way. Amen. I need to go God's way. So what about you? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Stand up with me right now. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Even those of you watching online, would you just bow your heads wherever you are, in your car, in your house, in your bedroom? Just, just bow your heads and you can stand up too. We're not able to have invitations like we used to have where I invite you to come to the altar and make a commitment to Christ and get things right with Him. But you know what? You don't literally have to come to the altar. You can do it right where you're standing right now. 
So if you're here this morning or you're watching online and your heart is not right with Jesus and you're not saved, you're not a follower, the most important thing for you to do today is to give your life to Jesus. It's as simple as ABC. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus can save you and confess him as Lord of your life. And just say a simple prayer. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. If you need to do that, would you do that right now? For the rest of us, how about this? Let's take our life to that next level of commitment to God. Maybe you're the one here today and you're in the belly of a whale. Maybe that's where you are. Because you've been running from God. You know God has something for your life, but you've, you've not been willing to say yes to God's perfect will. And so right now, you're the person in the belly of the whale. You can get out of that fish today, man, just by making a commitment and saying yes to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help every one of us in this room to say yes to you, yes to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. Say yes to whatever it is you want us to do, wherever you want us to go, whatever you want us to say, Lord, just to, just to say yes, Lord, I'll be willing to do whatever it is you want me to do. Help us to say yes today, Lord, and to mean it. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're willing to say yes to the Lord today, yes, Lord, I will do your will. Yes, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. Do what you want me to do. Say what you want me to say. If you're willing to tell the Lord yes today, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand. By raising your hand, you're making that commitment. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll be obedient. Yes, Lord, I'll follow you. Thank you, Lord, for everyone who lifted their hand and said yes. Lord, for those of us who are still struggling with getting on mission with you, break our hearts, Lord. Use circumstances in our life to get us where you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can sit down, but you can't leave yet, okay? Just a couple of things before we dismiss. Thanks for being here today. Come back next Sunday for Jonah, part number three, getting on mission with God. Um, tonight, the only thing we're going to have online is Brother Johnny's Kids Church, so you can watch that. Wednesday night is going to be the first Wednesday night service we've had since the middle of March. Uh, it's going to be kind of a special service. We're having a... Uh, a special uh, service for family ministries. Uh, it, it's called, what is that thing called? Chuckles for a Cause, all right? They're going to raise money for Maggie House and for the Young Home. A Christian comedian is going to be here. Uh, Jim McComas, the director of uh, family ministries, will be singing. It's just going to be a special service. We invite you to come and partake in that. The following Wednesday night, which is the 16th of September, we're going to be back to the normal schedule of Wednesday night. Teens are going to be meeting in the big gym, and the adults are going to be in here. Brother Johnny's going to have kids back in kids' church. Next Sunday morning, during this service, we're going to reopen our We Worship. So kids' church is going on next Sunday. We Worship going on, and we're slowly incorporating all of our things back together. I'm excited. How about you? A lot of people ask, well, what about Roundup Day? That always happens in September. Uh, we're not going to be able to have Roundup Day, but it, it's not died. That was Brother Johnny's only request. Don't let it die. Don't, 
Don't let Roundup Day die. And we're not going to. Uh, before you leave the room today, make sure you put your mask back on. Uh, drop your offering in one of those boxes. Or, of course, you can give online. And remember this. I love you. The staff loves you. But who loves you most? God does. God bless you. You're dismissed.